and the idea that they're somehow not going to pursue business opportunities because we want to see some basic improvements and get a market rate uh, contract is just absurd. Even on the face of it, it just doesn't hold water. Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman Captain David Campbell, and it's been a little while since we've had a State of the Union address, so we're doing that today. With me to to do that is MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, MEC Vice Chairman Joe Youngerman, Negotiating Committee Chairman Chris Gruner, and Strategic Planning Chairman Ronan O'Donohue. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. Thank you, David. Will, why don't you start and give us a brief overview of what we'll be talking about today. David, we'll start out with kind of an overview of the landscape ahead, how the recovery is looking and, and what we see in the future as far as uh, demand and you know, the good news that is ahead. Um, working big to small, talk a little bit about negotiations and where we are in that process and what the MEC uh, has planned. Talk a little bit about San Francisco. Um, I know there's a lot of questions on pilots' minds about the, the future of the base and again, try to offer as much clarity as we know at this point without having absolute certainty. Um, the dues refund that was recently authorized by the MEC, and then of course our ongoing efforts uh, with the West Coast Cut Tour. I think that the outreach efforts are, are something that's very important to make sure everybody's aware of, and they've been so successful. So we'll spend a little time on that. So Will, a lot of what we're talking about today is in the context of the economic recovery, and that is looking pretty good. So uh, what do we know about that? Well, I think that what we uh, discussed on the last podcast, and certainly what we predicted uh, as you know, early as last fall, in terms of um, EF&A's predictions about the recovery and, and how it would look favorable, that continues. It just accelerates. And I'm looking here at an article that I, I've seen some decent dissemination. There was a Kappa Live event on uh, June 9th that Ben Minicucci spoke at, you know, saying that he's seen such a dramatic change, dramatic recovery, um, that they've seen leisure demand come back to 100% and well over 100% in some cases of pre-pandemic levels. They're predicting, the, like we said on the last podcast, uh, profitability in the third quarter, and that they're looking at uh, recovery in business demand as well. Uh, you know, like I said, these are all things that I think we, we identified early on that optimism that the vaccine would have a dramatic effect and that it'd be pent up demand. And we're seeing that now. Uh, I mean, that kind of leads right into the issue of uh, the announced pilot hiring that they're looking to do in the fall, 250 to 350 pilots. Yeah, in fact, Will, didn't you, we foresaw a lot of this. If you think back to the, uh, the video that we put out there right prior to Christmas, you know, we, we were definitely looking down the road and seeing that this recovery would be a pretty, um, you know, pretty dramatic. And that's why we put out the video there around Christmas time was to uh, try and get in front of that, make sure negotiations were a part of that. Yeah. And, and that, that certainly underpins, I think, probably where we go next in this conversation, which is that, you know, the recovery is favorable. And as we said in numerous podcasts beforehand, that underpins the need to be negotiating actively and resuming pilot priorities, uh, you know, ad addressing pilot priorities and, and getting a ratifiable deal. It's long overdue. And I think that any narrative that we're in an insecure footing to be uh, advancing in, in negotiations or addressing pilot priorities is completely false. I mean, I'm looking right again I, on this quote, I've been in this industry for 25 years and I've never seen such a dramatic swing in the financial recovery. And then they're also willing to talk about dividends and shareholder returns returning 
it's it's again it's time for pilot priorities to be addressed yeah and just to credit it that quotation you're reading is from an article on the 10th right in the um flight global news yep yep exactly and it's uh, from a cap live event on the 9th of june so the day before in that same interview, he later says, in the third quarter, we're expecting to be profitable, back to solid footing, so just a dramatic, dramatic change over the course of six to nine months, unquote. Yep. And, and we had Liz Spear on, you know, a couple of podcasts ago, and, and let's give her credit where credit is due, that they read the tea leaves pretty effectively on this. And, and we've obviously leaned on her heavily in terms of uh, when we think the timing is right to, to continue to move forward and when we thought things needed to be addressed. I mean, everything from pilot staffing, for example, we, we foresaw that they were going to be in a position of needing additional lift, additional capacity. And the, the bid strategy has put us into a situation now where with this, even with this big bid that they have in October, it's kind of runway behind us. Right, everything's an intersection departure, and so now the only way that they can find this capacity that they need in the recovery is to keep additional Airbus aircraft that they planned on lease return and recall uh, Airbus pilots from EIL early in order to address the staffing concerns. Yeah, in fact, isn't that one of the reasons why the EIL program was so successful? Was their ability to ramp back up again quickly, and that was one of the main reasons why it was uh, so appealing to them as well as us. Oh, absolutely, Ronan. But I do think, and is my opinion and that of the membership committee, that there was lost opportunity in these system bids, that they could have been more aggressive and they could have uh, fixed, for instance, there was an imbalance between captains and first officers created because of the early out programs that uh, I think for costs wasn't addressed. And that could have been addressed earlier. We don't need to be this far down the runway on an intersection departure. Um, But, you know, that, that is kind of where we are. And yes, to your point, Absolutely. This is the flexibility that was baked into the program. And if you think about the fact that if they had gone ahead and furloughed however many pilots with all of the logistics required, both in um, the the bid process to bring people back and training, we would not be in a, in a favorable competitive position. We'd be further behind the eight ball. So, I mean, the, the, the voluntary leave programs and which we architected I think have proven to be incredibly valuable. Not all of our listeners are pilots and may not understand the point you're making. What do you mean by that? Why would why would we not be able to recover as quickly? Because every furloughed pilot who was recalled would have to be associated with a system bid, which has a time frame associated with it, as well as a training footprint. And so the flexibility that is baked into the EIL program that allows them to bring back pilots in bases and seats as needed just simply doesn't exist in a situation where you've furloughed and put pilots on the street uh, it, without getting really into the weeds on Section 24. That's the, the it, just the timeline is so much longer and it's so much more cumbersome. And, you know, the, the training footprint would certainly have been felt as well, much more so than here where they can keep the schoolhouse full uh, in a very targeted way. Right. And maybe a really simple way to explain that when you bring people back from furlough, had we furloughed, it it just creates multiple extra training events that aren't required because of the way we did it this time. Yeah, we still have two fleets and Mm -hmm. a system bid is a system bid that always turns on its own merits. And so with every system bid, you would have additional training events that just simply don't exist in the current program. Yeah. Well, fortunately for the company, they saw 
um, the value in, in what we propose in these EIL programs. And don't forget the massive um, exasperation, like the, just how, how much worse it would have been with the downgrades on top of that and the additional training that would have had to take in place if that had been the case. So it's just a point worth mentioning too. It's not just furloughs. There was a massive savings for them in that as well. It was truly a much better outcome for the pilots, but also at the same time for for the company. And in this recovery, that is also, you know, to the degree that the company can recover, the pilots share in that recovery. Well, speaking about sharing in the recovery, I think that gets us into uh, negotiations in, in your world, Chris. What what can you tell us about the last month? Yeah, so David, uh, since March, you know, we've been, again, getting back into these issues that are important to you in the CBA. So over the last few months, we spent time, again, just gaining clarity and uh, building on the lower tier issues. So that way we can then have a pathway to talk clearly about what those primary concerns are for you. So what you've made it clear to us is that you expect a market contract, and that's in all areas. But the biggest deficiencies that you've identified are in uh, work rules and in job security. And that intuitively is true. I mean, if you just look at it dispassionately, it's easy to see that those are where the big deficiencies are in our contract. And again, this is coming from you and what you've told us. So uh, now we've gotten to a point where uh, we want to get clarity from the company on those big issues to you and where we need the most work and where their positions are. So we, in no uncertain terms, let the company know that we expect a clear response to our original proposal on scope, job security, and understand where they were on each of those issues this week. So they gave us a clear response and it was very disappointing. So on each of the issues we went through that were important to you, they had no interest in addressing them adequately. The company repeated several times that they were not willing to give up future flexibility that they felt that uh, taking care of these issues that are important to you would put them at a competitive disadvantage. And uh, so the while we have clarity, uh, again, there's a lot of work to do uh, before we get this to where it needs to be so it's ratifiable. So just to be clear, the issues that we brought up just broadly in the scope section are uh, limiting small jets to 76 seats, 86,000 pounds, um, establishing a ratio of small aircraft to mainline aircraft, requiring that Alaska Airlines flying will be performed with two seniority list pilots in the flight deck, uh, making sure that code share provisions and joint venture provisions resulted in growth and opportunities for the pilot group, in addition to the opportunities that it provides for the company. Oh, and one other important one here, and didn't mean to leave this one off, but is requiring that if they ever merge with another aircraft or another company, that uh, it, they weren't allowed to hold them separately underneath the uh, Alaska Air Group banner, but they would be required to merge them into a single pilot group. So those are some of the uh, primary ones. Obviously, there are other uh, issues there as well. And so in all of those cases, it was a bridge too far for them? Uh, that is correct. So uh, none of those, again, were uh, issues that we had a, a constructive uh, conversation that moved this forward in a way that's uh, beneficial. for Correct. And, and that was what we had asked for, <clears throat> was for them in positions where there was an objection or some type of a, a material concern about what we think is a very reasonable proposal, was to come back and identify specifically where it was a problem or why it was a, a threat. And what we got were the generalities that, that 
Chris just cited, which is so frustrating. It's the, you know, in theory, you know, we would be at a competitive disadvantage in, in any number of arenas. I think the most frustrating thing for me this week was our proposal was in line and reasonable with other carriers and yet is still offensive to the company or provides you know, an, an obstacle in some way for them to be competitive. You know, to me, if we're all on the same level playing field, the landscape is the same for every other compare, carrier that they are competing against, I don't understand the narrative that they're somehow at a competitive disadvantage. The truth is they're, they're not, that does not put them at a competitive disadvantage. I think when you look across the industry, we are an absolute outlier with our scope protection. And you know that's not just among carriers that operate a similar business model. That's among virtually all large uh, major airline carriers out there. You know, you've got Southwest. There, one could certainly make the point, and it's a younger airline than uh, Alaska that Southwest has done rather well for themselves. Well, guess what? They just happen to have very robust scope language in their contract, and yet they don't find that an impediment to being a successful business. And there's no reason the same situation can't be true here. Correct. I mean, I'm actually looking at the A for A update, and they're announcing yet more the resumption of their Caribbean service and That's more right. incremental That's routes right. and growth. And you know, we we do talk to to their chairman too. I just I don't understand why they're so principled on being outside of the industry, especially when they understand, as Chris alluded to, that this is an issue that is so important to our pilots that was identified as early as going back to the flight path suites, right? When they would ask the pilots what their priorities were and that word salad exercise or whatever else would right. say scope in you know, right. 90 point font. I mean, yeah. th this is the thing that I don't understand. You need a ratifiable deal and then the pilots the, have spoken loudly. Their position on this, on this is, is out of the norm. It's radical. It's it's uh, you know it's not in line with the industry and there's no good business case for it. Well, and I think getting to that point on competitive advantage, um, I mean, there's a principal difference there. You know, for us, the way we're looking at it is there is a competitive advantage when you have a business plan that executes for both the shareholders and your employees and the stakeholders and, and your stakeholders. That's so that's right. what we're looking for here. So again, we're not looking to uh, kneecap the company. That's Absolutely not what our proposals not. No. do. Right. right. It just gives us assurances that we're part of, you know, their their plan to execute that when we make a commitment to this company like we uh, do, you know, we, we do want this company to succeed. But we want to uh, we want the company to also recognize the value that we bring and our part in it and then give us assurances that we indeed are, are part of the, the plan. Right. It's looking for the simple protections for every Alaska pilot that puts his time in here and invests in a career here at Alaska Airlines, that he won't at some point have the rug pulled out from underneath his career for expedience on the part of the company to be replaced by regional jets and regional pilots. And that's not a big ask. And Joe, that's a reasonable concern. I mean, that, that has happened to I, many of the why, pilots why, who work why here was now. I in Virgin? Because exactly that happened to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And th this is always encouraging. After 13 years. Yep. Straight from the light, left seat to no seat. I always encourage the, the pilot dialogue, and this was the value of the flight path suites, is that when people talk about the relevancy of scope, we have so many people, just like Joe, that, that can articulate a story that makes this resonate, that makes, there's a reason the polling data is so strong on this issue. Yeah. Because we all have a shared understanding that our careers are imperiled without it.
business. It's not just the flight path suites, though. It's it's like if you're, it's all of it. It's the polling. It's the turn the the cookout tour that we're doing right now. It's loud and it's clear from the pilots that this is it. This is where it's at. I mean, this is referred back to us. I mean, even as recently in just my history here, like just over, a little bit over five years now, um, since being merged with Virgin. I mean, this was clear in the Javits Award that it should have been sorted out, that it was something that he directed back to us. Yeah. And we're still here. We're still no further at all along than we were when that happened. Yeah. And it just, well, again, I don't want to belabor the point, but when we're pitching straight down the plate in line with the industry and we're told that it's a foul ball, come on. Chris, scope isn't the only thing that's important to the pilot group, and I know it's not the only thing you've been working on. What else do you, do you have for us? Yeah, we did talk about two other subjects uh, this last week. So first of all, we talked about training, which was positive. So we ended up uh, getting a proposal back from the company, which gets us much closer to completing that subject. So there is benefit on uh, these lower issues to get those to market, get them wrapped up, and then move those aside. So that way we can focus on these bigger issues. And then as uh, far as scheduling goes, um, so as you remember at the last session last week, we had the uh, company uh, regress from their previous proposals on things that we had agreed to that were getting in line with the industry. And, and, and those came back. This week, we did have a positive just conversation, you know, just a discussion on uh, ways forward, how we see the scheduling system. We got good engagement from the company. But what we expect at the next session from them is uh, commitments and a recognition of where we need to go in order to get this contract and the work rules section where they need to be again to get to a uh, ratifiable uh, deal so um, ho hopefully we're seeing more progress there than we saw you know last week when we were looking at those uh, 25u and, and b sections and then uh, we have something we can uh, build on but uh, we'll report to you back on uh, what those negotiations look like when we get there and uh Next sessions, just due to different conflicts, unfortunately won't be until July 12th, but then we have two weeks back to back. Well, Chris, that report about how negotiations have been going is obviously frustrating and disappointing, but I will also say it, it's predicted. We, we expected it would probably come down to that at some point. We've talked about this before on podcasts and some of our uh, literature and in the strategic planning document. And so we're, we're not caught off guard. And Ronan, as our strategic planning chairman, I, I know you've been thinking about this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, none of this is new. None of this was not anticipated, as you said. And in fact, if you go back to even to 2018, David, with that uh, first SOF, the Safeguard Our Future video that we launched, we call out to these, these exact um, tactics and identify them as being a problem and a barrier to progress. You know, and as recently as this executive summary that we put out earlier on this year for the strategic plan, it's called out directly in there. Um, you know, and, and if you want to go even closer in history, anybody who hasn't seen it really should take a look at the wide draw um, that we just put out a month ago that we knew that scope was going to be a big issue. And it is the number one issue, of course, or one of the highest issues that the pilots have. Um, we have a plan for this. We have a plan to get us through and get this, this contract across the finish line. And in fact, you know, I was directed by uh, Will there a couple of weeks ago to go to DC and have meetings with uh, senior Alpha leadership to make sure that that plan is moving forward and it is solid and something we can get, you know, we still have MEC approval on to make sure that this thing gets done. Um, we are 
honestly, we're, we're happy with the direction that we're going really happy with, um, you know, what we have that we're working towards and more of that will get unveiled. But the big thing is, is like part of the, part of it right now is out there with the West coast uh, cookout tour. It's really, really important that pilots realize that, um, the, the opportunities are there to meet with their leadership and to meet with their negotiating committees and to meet with each other. Because a big part of this whole plan is going to be making sure that the pilot group really is, is willing to push this across the line. So, but yes, it's completely anticipated and planned for. Yeah. I mean, much as I would love to say that I was prepared to be surprised, we obviously were far more prepared for what we've seen in this last week. So, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, if that's the path that, that we pursue, we do have a plan for it. And, you know, that's a, a good opportunity to engage with the pilots. Uh, come to the Kugat tour talk to your reps and uh, we'll be moving forward in the next few weeks. It'll become much, much more transparent. Yeah. Past, past performance is usually a good predictor of future behavior. And I would say that applies here. Yeah. And the conversations we're having at the cookout tours have been awesome. I mean, it's just great again to hear everybody being on the same page, you know, to be focused on the same concerns and negotiations. Right. And, and frankly, you know, there's uh, the same, Frustration, but lack of surprise right. on how things are going. You right. know, what we keep hearing is the pilots are focused on making sure that this contract is done right. And, you know, if it takes a little bit of time, they're willing to do so. But again, I'll just reiterate that our expectation is that the company uh, gets this contract done in a I, timely manner, in a way that is uh, ratifiable and, uh, you, you know, the, the pilots can vote on. Because just again, remember, um, this contract will be voted on by you and we're not going to move a contract through that that we don't think matches what you expect so again it's going to go through the negotiating committee through the mec then to you and there's no arbitration backstop this time around there is a lack of surprise but there is no lack of resolve and i i think we're definitely seeing that during the cookout tour one of the other things too, I, I spent a lot of time this week talking to my peers at other airlines and they can't believe the struggles we have with getting such basic job protection and work rule amendments done in a contract that's so long overdue. It's just, it's amazing to me that we are so high centered at this point. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it really supports the point Joe was making a minute ago about a, a radical notion of management to not agree to things that are pretty basic across the industry. Yeah, I think that's very true, David. You know, in my role as executive vice president, I spend, you know, some time out in Washington, D.C. with the uh, executive council. And of course, we're in a room with uh, EVPs from across the industry. And there is always a bit of surprise and and shock that, uh, you know, our, over our really lack of good scope language to protect our pilot group. And and certainly a lot of support for us to achieve that goal. What's amazing too to me, and I have hear a lot of this on the feedback we're getting from this uh, meeting the families, is when you talk to spouses and you talk to family members of our pilots, and the frustration is not only echoed through the pilot group, but also through them about basic job protections that are not afforded to our pilot group. And then, of course, the big one being work rules. You know, because that basically nets down to days off and time at home with families. And it's we're hearing it, as I said, not only from pilots, but from from spouses, too. The frustration's growing. It really is. It is. And, you know, I brought this up on a podcast not too long ago, and I think it's worth repeating, is that 
often there's there's uncanny ability for management to always find a reason not to agree to improvements to a contract and one of those common ones is this this notion of growth that we need these concessions from you or we are not going to be able to make these improvements so that we can grow and without them we can't grow and you know joe you were talking about that a, a minute ago and I feel pretty confident speaking on behalf of the MEC to say that we will not sacrifice the profession on the altar of growth. And more to the point, we don't need to. That is a false choice, and and it's, it, there is no reason that you can't have both. Yeah, that's a that's a straw man argument. I mean, if if you stop and think about it, even for a minute, if there are business opportunities out there for this airline, they're going to go after them because that's what businesses do. You know, if there's an opportunity, you pursue it. And the idea that they're somehow not gonna pursue business opportunities because we wanna see some basic improvements and get a market rate uh, contract is just absurd. Uh, even on the face of it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't hold water. Well, I'll call it what it is. It's a tired talking point. We've it seen is. it dangled in front of us for years. Absolutely. I've been here 15 years and they can ask anybody junior or senior to me and they've seen that exact same carrot dangled with very different numbers baked into it every single time. But we can't do this. We can't grow. Um, and, you know, what's meaningful to our pilots is growth, but it's also security that, that you'll participate in that growth. And that's what the, the scope argument, of course, is all about. You know, just like our own personal budgets, right? Where the company spends their money, that's where their values are placed, and you know what they uh, put as uh, their primary importance. So, during the JCBA uh, arbitration, we know the company argued that they needed was eight percent growth in order to remain competitive, and then the arbitrator largely gave them an award that allowed them to achieve that. And so, what we saw instead was almost flat mainline growth, huge amounts of regional growth out of that. And then also a large amount, and I think it was record-setting uh, dividends and um, shareholder buybacks, if I'm not mistaken. So all we're asking for here is to have the company put a priority on their pilots and start taking care of some of the concerns that we've been articulating for years. When you make a choice to come work for Alaska Airlines, you invest your career. Your jobs are so far less portable than so many professions out there. You know. It, if if you decide that uh, you're not satisfied with the way things are here at Alaska and you want to go to another carrier, it's a big it's a big setback for your career to start over again, and uh, you know that's why th this profession, this industry, is kind of unique in several ways. And and yet and yet, we still see people dissatisfied enough with the way things are going here, people that even have several years mm -hmm. on our seniority list still willing to take that hit, to start over and go somewhere else because they just they just are not happy with the way the trajectory is here. And insecure in their, in their futures. We do exit interviews with every single pilot that leaves that's willing to talk to us. And there's so many common threads that, you know, are, arise in those exit interviews. People don't feel safe and secure in their careers here. They feel that there are better opportunities and they're willing to start over, Yeah, you know, and uh, you obviously have been through numerous carriers. I've, what, this is airline number four for me as well, right? Yeah. I mean, starting over maybe involuntarily, but it's not a small sacrifice. It's, it's huge. Not, it's not. And yet they're doing it voluntarily. And I think, you know, ultimately what we'd like to build here is, is a, you know, obviously when we want to see the company succeed, we want a financially strong and stable airline. 
but we also want a, a strong CBA with basic job protections, career protections, and the two are not mutually exclusive. There is no reason we can't reach that goal. We did a podcast last January, right before COVID, on this exact subject of attrition. And it was um, Will Swelvin came in and uh, he was briefing on basically the exit interviews and the information that he was gleaning from that. And I'm very much in touch with Will and see that same information now. And it's starting again. It's happening. The exact same reasons, the exact same exit interview um, comments are coming from the pilots that are leaving is basically job protection and quality of life. Yeah, Ron, it makes me think of that term competitive advantage that a, a workforce that's willing to stay and come is an advantage. That is a competitive advantage. And I think our company is in danger of, of minimizing that. Yep. I think that we'll see mm-hmm. attrition accelerate. And I think that as they uh, attempt to recall pilots from these longer term EILs, they're going to find out that there's some attrition baked into into the, that pilot group too. So I'd like to move the conversation to the topic of the San Francisco base. That is something that has brought on a, a lot of concern among many of our pilots, largely because of a, a lack of clarity on what's happening there from management. And Will, I know you've had some conversations about that recently. So what, what's the latest? Well, not some conversations, many, many conversations. This is a topic that uh, the MEC has been strongly advocating for clarity on, and as well as that I've had the opportunity to speak to senior management on just to implore them that we need some certainty in and around what their plans are for the future of that base. Um, and, you know, there's certainly no lack of advocacy for clarity on that piece. And uh, I think they understand fully that, you know, pilots need to know this is so, so important to their lives to be able to plan and also to the, the company's uh, concerns as well. Because if pilots know the future of the base, then their bidding behavior, for example, in these reduction bids will probably change. But we have absolutely had uh, numerous conversations with senior management advocating for clarity. And I think we finally refined down the issue. Uh, at least they have tasked on their side the proper assets to turn and model San Francisco with a you know more of a, a forward-looking um, prospect rather than modeling it in its current state, right? And in that context, I think that if you look at pre-pandemic San Francisco, the business case makes itself. But I don't need to say that because we are independently trying to also model and put together the hypotheticals of what would the flying look like if San Francisco existed in pre-pandemic levels as a Boeing base or also potentially as a co-terminal. And, you know, I, I do believe that those numbers are favorable and they pencil out, but we're seeking that absolute clarity from, from senior management. It's just too important to the pilots to be silent on. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's been a, as a San Francisco based pilot, of course, I've taken a special interest in this and, and watching what's going on. And of course, as a former Virgin chairman, I was, uh, uh, you know, faced to deal with the, the closing of the JFK base. And we got a whole two hours notice before that uh, decision was announced. And, you know, it's not just pilots on a spreadsheet when you're closing a base that you're moving around. It's people's lives, it's children in school, it's wives' jobs, it's facing a commute, spending less time with your family. 
These are all very important issues to every pilot, and they deserve to know what their future holds. Because when you're when you're not being clear about what your plans are, you're not just keeping that pilot in limbo. You're keeping his entire family in limbo. You know, it, it, we look at California. The whole purpose of buying Virgin America was supposedly to to make inroads into California and get into that market. San Francisco is a big part of the California market. Obviously, it's a it's you know a very uh, uh, vibrant, uh, important business city on the West Coast. I don't think the solution there is to to give up and, and run. Uh, just like with this pandemic, as we've seen it kind of uh, you know erode over the course of the year. Uh, and business come back strongly. California's been kind of a, a lagging in that regard, but I don't think there's any doubt that demand will return to California, will return in San Francisco. And the way to be ready for that is not to shut down a crew base and run away. Uh, that's gonna be really hard to reestablish uh, were they to do that. And I think, you know, in my own discussions with certain members of, of uh, management, you know, they, they admit that they were a little too hasty to pull out of, of certain markets, to give up on certain markets. And so, of course, we're advocating that there, there is a real reason to be in San Francisco. There, it makes good sense to have a base there. Obviously, it's going to end up, you know, th there are changes that are going to occur as the, as the Airbus gets phased out and the Boeing replaces it. But, uh, but keeping that base open makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Especially evaluated, as we say, from a pre-pandemic perspective. Correct. Because you have to assume that a state as large as California, when the recovery fully takes effect in that state, will return to pre-pandemic sure. plus levels. Sure. And I think when you model it that way, it, it looks favorable. Yeah, but, I don't I don't see how you have a winning California strategy without being in San Francisco. It just doesn't make sense. You know, and, and Virgin America was able to make inroads there. It is a competitive landscape, and there's no question about it. You've got to fight your way into some of those markets, but the demand is there, but you have to have the resolve to, to stick it out and to be present. And the way to do that is, is to keep that base there, to keep those flights there. And you know, that's certainly what we're advocating for. Yeah, that's we're tirelessly advocating for it and seeking clarity on it, and that clarity should come shortly. And uh, I guess the one thing too is just let the pilots know that we're independently modeling it. Uh, on our side as well with uh, some baseline assumptions so that we can make the business case that we think things look good. Absolutely. So we'll, we reported in the MEC update that a dues refund had been approved by the MEC. Explain that a little bit. Why are we able to do that and what is that going to look like for pilots? Oh, certainly. We've done this in the past before and it's a uh, the simplest answer is that when you're good stewards of the dues dollar and you operate an MEC very, very efficiently, um, a portion of your dues income is eligible for refund back to the pilots. And that's what the MEC considered at the last MEC meeting. We looked at what's called the cumulative fund balance and evaluated the landscape ahead. We definitely you know, looked at the burden that negotiations might put on, uh, you know, financially on the union. And uh, we still feel very comfortable with the, uh, the refund that was authorized. And uh, I'm pleased that this has happened again, and in no small part because we are good stewards of the dues dollar. I want to circle back to a point you just made, because you made it quickly. 
we are refunding some dues money, but not at the expense of the work that we're doing to improve the contract. And no, we're, no both that, of those that was are, that was the active debate, obviously, within the MEC to evaluate where we were and what the landscape ahead looked like and what's a, a comfortable amount to, to refund. And, you know, I was the secretary treasurer in the JCBA um authorized refund. And I, I, I mean, I know what we spent then and I know that we're in a comfortable position now. I feel really, really good about the decision the MEC made. I would just point out too that on the, you know, the legacy virgin side, you know, mm-hmm. that, that uh, there will be, pilots will see less of a refund. And that's because obviously that, you know, we hadn't uh, merged, uh, you know, it took a little while for the two MECs to merge, obviously. So we were operating under two separate uh, two separate uh, as two separate entities and when virgin started of course and i think most pilots are familiar with this as a new carrier new alpha carrier we had a lot of expenses and not a lot of revenue coming in and i can tell you that uh, it was a very shoestring budget the first couple of years uh just to keep keep being able to do all the things we needed to do to organize ourselves and to set up committees and to get people through training and all that kind of uh uh, work that's involved with a new a new uh, union, so we didn't we didn't run any surpluses during those years. You know, we were basically just barely making ends meet. So the the refunds that the uh, legacy Virgin guys will see will be smaller because they were post merging of the MECs. But I do not see a change in terms of uh, how we run this union financially. So in, on the go forward. I, I, we will all be sharing far more equally. And, right, yeah. right. It's been, uh, I think the culture uh, with the Alaska MEC is one of solid fiscal responsibility. Uh, that's been the case for a long time, and, and that's not going to change. Well, there are a number of big, important topics to cover today, and I, I think we've spent a fair amount of time on those. So, Will, let's, uh, why don't you close us out here? Thanks, David. I think the important thing is, is that we are entering kind of a different phase of negotiations where at this point, nearly all the pilot concerns that you've articulated to us are out and before the company and they're being actively discussed. And I think that makes things a little bit more dynamic, that people now have a, a newfound thirst for information. And pilots also want to know. They, they really want to know what's going on. They want to know how they can stay involved. Um, and I think also we hear loud and clear that they've become frustrated, as we've discussed at length on this podcast, that you know a, lo- a number of their issues are kind of being met with a tone-deaf response. And so I, I think if I emphasize one thing before moving into a closing thought is that we did anticipate this, unfortunately, and we do have a solid plan that will help move negotiations along. It's been before the MEC for approval, and it, it gets refined on a regular basis. So, um, you know, if there's one thing I can assure the pilots that there is a plan and that we really don't have a lot of tolerance for not dealing with pilot issues in an expedient manner. In other words, the the, the slow roll is just not going to be welcome here. So with, with that said, coming back to the issue of how do pilots get information, how do they stay involved? The best thing in the world is the West Coast cookout tour. We've had a number of the dates are behind us now. And um, it's very successful. We've seen attendance at these events run from 50 to last night in Gig Harbor, 100 pilots and families. Very good active discussions. 
Um, and obviously it's a good place to become informed. It's a good place to exchange ideas, meet with your officers, meet with the negotiating committee and, and really learn uh, where we are and, and where we're going. Um, in addition, I know pilots have uh, asked repeatedly for new pins, lanyards, um, and kind of the, the swag element of it. That's available at every one of these events as well. Right, and we've got more new stuff in the pipeline that should be coming out soon. Yeah, I it, true. We'll just leave it at that. Right. Yeah, they're they're great events. I mean, last night's event was uh, hugely successful, and and it was the part I enjoyed most was really just getting to meet families. There were a lot of families there brought their children. It's of course wonderful to talk to pilots and to hear their feelings about things and get their feedback. But it's also really nice to be able to speak to spouses and sort of hear that side of of what's going on and what they're concerned about and. This is just a great way for people to get out, have some fun, share ideas, share concerns. And I would just highly recommend it if people have the opportunity to visit one of the West Coast uh, cookout tour events that they, they make the time and, and get out there and do it. It's, it's well worth it. Yeah, Ronan and I have, have said so many times, and I know we all have felt it as an MEC, that it's this direct engagement with the pilots that's just so critical. It underpinned our success through Absolutely. all of the uh, adversity and the challenges that we've seen so far, and it's really refreshing to be back out and, and talking to the pilots and to their families, because this, as we've said many times, is not just the pilot's contract, it's the entire family's contract. Uh, it's mainly the reason why we did it with the RV is because it gave us an opportunity to get out in front of the pilots and their families in a fun way at the pretty much the tail end of this pandemic when there's still states with some restrictions in. So it's actually, it's it's working out brilliantly. And what I would also emphasize too is that there is swag, there is stuff for all of the family because the family are just as big a stakeholder in this whole thing as any one of the pilots that works here. I would also like to remind people too that the best way that you can show your unity is wear your lanyard. And right now the, the lanyard that we're wearing is the one, the Alpa um, dark blue lanyard. Make sure that you have that on your pin. But as this um, campaign progresses, we will be asking you to show up to different things and to help us out. And in fact, the RV is going to be making its way south, take in the California bases and other other areas where pilots are very centrally located. And David, I know that's um, you've done a lot of work to make sure that that information's out there. Yeah, that's right. If you want to find out where the RV and where the West Coast Cookout Tour is coming next, just go to alaskapilots.org and you, you'll see the schedule. And that is uh, not behind the firewall, so family members can go to that as well. And speaking of family members, these events, they're, they're really valuable. They are both informative, but also they're fun. Uh, we designed them to be that way. We designed them that the family members would want to go. And we've seen a lot of kids at these events from toddlers all the way up to teenagers. And, um, and I, they've been having a good time. So uh, I really encourage pilots to get out there with their families. And if you happen to be flying on a day that, that the West Coast tour is in your neighborhood, please send your family without you. It, it, it will be valuable for them as well. Yep. And uh, it would be remiss if we didn't take just a moment to, to acknowledge the amount of work that these, these events take. And so for our pilot-to-pilot -pilot ambassadors and volunteers and the other MEC volunteers and you know it, each one of us who go and participate in these, um, they're, they're incredibly valuable, but they are a lot of work. And so I'll thank the volunteers for their sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. And also the Family Outreach Committee members, they've, they've um, been doing a bit of a, a heavy lift as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. 
Yeah, it's more than just an RV. It's a whole team of folks out there making these events happen, and and they're just doing, they're executing wonderfully with it, and and people are just having a great time. So we strongly encourage everyone who can to to try to attend at least one of these events. Yeah, and by the way, we're taking advantage of the good weather in the Northwest right now. So we'll be heading down to California, or the southern part of California is the plan right now as the weather changes up here. So we'll we'll be at some point in in your neighborhood hopefully with uh you know as many as many of the neighborhoods as we can hit and i say neighborhoods by the way because it's not just the bases we recognize that pilots live in um are concentrated in areas outside of our bases so like in the um nevada and arizona areas we'll be hitting some of those as well so david final thoughts on this obviously the success in, in bringing the contract over the finish line really depends upon the pilots staying informed, staying engaged, and staying unified. But it's more than the pilots, as we just got done saying with the, the West Coast Cookout Tour. It's the families, and we've seen that in the, these last weeks. So I would ask that everybody continues to keep their families engaged and informed. Pilots stay engaged and informed and talking to one another. Talk to your reps. Make sure that we understand your needs, your priorities, and, uh, and also the education campaigns that are coming, um, pay attention, stay informed. Yeah, I think, you know, unity, resolve, and participation is what's going to get us to where we need to be. And we saw a lot of that over the last couple of weeks, and it's very, uh, very satisfying. It is. And indeed, we need to look no further than what we've already been through as, as a pilot group and as an MEC. That's what's gotten us through everything so far. So Yeah. And I'll say, too, it's a bit of a shot in the arm, I think, for you know those of us, like especially Chris and his committee, that are doing all of this hard work to see that the pilot group and their families are behind us and, and, and encouraged and, um, and helping us push the ball forward. So thank you for coming out. Thank the family members. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we're here for. Right. We're here for you. And it's just I'm excited to be able to have the opportunity to, to represent you and uh, i'm glad to be part of the team here all right well thanks everyone and again as always i really want to thank our listeners it's it's really helpful and important that that you take the time to listen to these podcasts so i, I appreciate that very much you've been listening to another episode of the alaska pilots podcast i've been your host strategic communication chairman captain david campbell thank you for listening 